Joyride podcast. John is my name. And Ian is. And welcome to 2021 again. Last week was about hope. This week is <laughs> is is not really. So no. it was last week a new hope, and this is an Empire Strikes Back. This is the dark pre- wow. uh, sequel. Yeah, I mean the Empire struck back on Monday. <laughs> we were a bit late and, 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 and relied on it. I mean, I I can't. I mean, I remember when we sat here, I mean, listener, obviously you might be walking the dog or something as you as you listen to this. But as me and Ian um, were sat recording last week, we were trying to talk about hope. And when Mr. Boris Johnson appeared on television on Monday night, we already knew what was coming. Yeah. And uh, I can't help, my heart just sank. And I just thought back to the recording we'd done and thought, yeah, well, that lasted a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, we got it. We got it slightly earlier because Nicola came out and did hers in the morning. Yes, or hers was at lunchtime, I think. And we already knew that we were heading into a lot. And the thing is, it was almost the opposite of what to expect because we were told in Scotland that schools are closing. You know, it's homeschool now for the rest of January. Hopefully, things will start to go back to a bit more normal in beginning of February. Whereas Boris, it was mid-February, late February, and then Gove came out on Tuesday and said, well, it's probably going to be March or April, really, before the schools go back and things go back to normal. So I imagine it's probably even more bleak down south than it is up here. I think it is, and I think the difficulty is is it's the mixed messages aspect of it, like we've talked about for months, mm. is that you're there's all this optimism, 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 oh, lockdown. Optimism, optimism, yeah. optimism, lockdown. And it's the sheer speed. I mean, the amount of whiplash that the government must have from the U-turns that they're doing is is crazy. We were talking, I don't know if we did it in the podcast or we did it off air, about the, you know, the fact that Mr. Johnson had gone on television on Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, mm. and said schools are safe. And yet 36 hours later, the country was being <laughs> shut down. Because uh-huh. schools aren't safe. And the interesting thing is, and this is where it's weird, and this is where certainly my morale is, is sinking or has sunk, is that we're supposed to be in as severe a lockdown as we were last March. Yeah. Um, however, when that happened last March, um, with a day's notice, um, our office shut. I work in the public sector, and our office just shut. And it was only open for emergencies, um, so basically between March and June, I was going in once a month. I would go in yeah. for one day a month. Um, and then gradually we began to open up and open up to the point where I'm literally half in the office, half at home. So five days out of every 10 working days, I'm in the office. And we are told that nothing is changing about that. That's the exactly as it is. We're the same. Our place is COVID safe. Right. We're COVID safe. Of course we're COVID oh, safe. A, yeah, of course. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah, whoa, 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 wait a minute. But but pubs were COVID safe. Shops were COVID safe. Yeah. Schools were COVID safe. The whole world was COVID safe. Schools were the safest place to be. 
Exactly. Yeah. And so how are we COVID safe? You know, like know. At, at, at what point are they going to U-turn with us? Are people going to have to get really sick um, in my sort of part of the public sector before they close us? I mean, it's just, it's it strikes me as utterly bizarre. And the other thing about it as well is, and, and I'm guessing that you're, I guess you, because you're working from home yourself now and, uh, you know, the kids aren't going to school and whatever, I doubt you're getting in the car very often. No, um, no, not at all. Whereas obviously, you know, with my job, I'm in the office five days out of every 10. I'm in the car. I was, I was working in the office, for example, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday this week. The traffic has not reduced at all. Right. The only That's way grim. there is, the only way the traffic is reduced is that, if I, depending on how I time my journey to work, I would sometimes hit school traffic. Right. And obviously that's gone. They're sort of between 10 and five, 10 and nine, 10 to nine and nine o'clock. Yeah. That's gone, you know, but in general, there's just as many cars on the road as there were um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, six weeks ago. Whereas in the first March lockdown, I had to do home visits as part of my mm. job, as part of my role. And the streets were empty. Well, you said it was like walking around 28 days later. I yeah, it really was. Yeah. It absolutely was. For the first four to five weeks of the first lockdown, it was like 28 days later. And then the sun came out and people began to relax a little bit. And you'd see young people walking around together in the sunshine, mm-hmm. you know, outside, but not crazy. Um, but this time, like I say, the traffic is just as, you know, just as busy. B&Q is just as busy. B&Q is still open. Yeah, there's a lot more shops open than were open in March and April, definitely. And how has that been allowed to happen? Well, because the thing is, I, the, way, the way I see it is a lot of premises are now claiming that they are essential <laughs> when they weren't claiming to be essential in March and April. I mean, there's a shop in Largs that sells ice cream and wine, and it's still open. Not, <laughs> not just for takeaway. It was Actually, I don't know now, but two weeks ago when places were mostly closed it was still and they were encouraging people to come in during the holidays come down have some ice cream get some wine and i think a lot of businesses are just staying open and nobody seems to be enforcing the closure of these places even though right now furlough is is an option for the next four or five months um i don't know i mean what i mean what is this is it is it just do you think businesses are just thinking we can't take any more of a hit than we took last year We, we need to stay open I think this is, I, I, is it also like is it also just like like you obviously don't work for a business you work for um, mm. local authority and therefore you're in the public sector is it just that these systems need people to go back in to facilitate the smooth running of that I don't know I don't know I think there's a case of last time last time it was like it really was if you think about the clap for carer stuff last time it was really this sense of we are all in this together they did somehow manage to create this blitz spirit. And I'm not sure how it was created, but I do think there was a genuine sense of civic duty. Mm. Um, if you remember, do you remember the humiliation that um, Mike Ashley had at the start of the first lockdown in last March because he said that Sports Direct was essential? Yeah, that's right. And he had such a, pro- I can never say that word, opprobrium. Appropriate. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Appropriate. Put, put on him because he'd said that. And now, like you say, is B&Q is now essential. Um, you know, everywhere is open for click and collect from what I can gather. You mm-hmm. know, I pass quite close to me. There's a sort of retail park 
I have about 50 minutes walk from my house and I drove past it yesterday and it was pretty full. Yeah. Not in the sense that it was Christmas full, but it was, it was just like a, a, a certainly a normal weekday full. And I was like, well, how is this? Because the only potential shop on that place that could be even conceivably classed as essential is there's a fairly large boots chemist. Yeah. But yeah. mainly the cosmetic stuff with the pharmacy at the back. I mean, the yes. pharmacy is the only essential part of the shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, because we were, bear in mind, as we were in tier four last weekend when we spoke. And when I um, stopped speaking to you, I went for a walk last week. And I went through the town centre on my walk. And Ryman's, the stationers, was open, which right. is not an essential shop. No, I wouldn't have said so. No. Unless, well, I don't know. I mean, Donald Trump might be using it because he's been banned from all our forms of communication. <laughs> he just needs lots of stationery to light, write letters. I but mean, no, I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like you say, it's very mixed messaging. The fact that schools are closed, which is, that's the one thing governments in all countries in the UK seem really determined not to do is close the schools and yet they've taken that step where they've, they've decided we need to close the schools to try and keep the numbers down but at the same time they're letting a lot of shops and businesses stay open that weren't open in march and april no. so and... i mean I'm, i must admit i'm not really following the numbers in england right now I, you know there's there's no daily briefing from boris you get intermittent briefings when he when he can be bothered mm. but i mean up here I was listening to Professor Jason Leach, who's our clinical director, last night, and they were they were saying that basically the positivity, you know, the percentage of testing positivity has gone down from something like sixteen percent to eight percent in the last week or so. So they can see that these measures are all like the kind of really severe shutdown is actually already taking effect up here, right? And the numbers of uh, you know people new cases has gone down in the hunt you know like you know it was over it was like 2000 odd a day and now it's maybe like 11 or 1200 a day so we can already see that there are differences been made and there are experts up here are saying um that if this carries on we could get schools back open in february because it does seem to be working up here but we don't but the, we've said this so many times in the last year the difference is our government doesn't tend to chop and change its ideas I mean, we knew that schools weren't going back in middle, mid-December. We were told schools will not be going back straight away. They'll be doing online stuff. All that's happened is we were told it's going to be another two weeks at least. It'll be till the end of this month. Our kids weren't going back to school tomorrow. They were going to be doing online anyway. Yeah. They're just going to have another two weeks of that. So we were ready for that. Whereas in England, they weren't told this until last Monday that the schools weren't going back. I mean, they were all, like we said, they were told on Sunday, yep, schools, yeah, of course, if you can send your kids to school, send them to school. If it's safe to do so, send them to school, it'll be fine. And, and so they went, later, they went yeah. for one day. They went it's, for one day. And therefore, if schools do, um, if schools do increase the rate of infection, everybody got one day where they'd yeah. been fairly isolated. So therefore, uh-huh. you know, I mean, it, it and then launch back into it and bang, yep. be hit with a whole load more. I mean, it's 80,000 infections a day. I know, it's 80,000 people. Oh, no, is it not? No. 40, no, no, it's 50, 80, we've, we've reached 80,000 deaths yesterday in the UK. But it's tens of thousands of people oh, testing yeah. positive every day. It's massive. Uh, I mean, and of course, we had Matt Hancock in the middle of the week on the telly in the morning saying it's the public's behaviour that's causing this, which was inevitable. We knew We knew that's what they would say. Yes, not it's not the government's responsibility. It's not their 
fault for not being clear and concise and consistent. It's the public's fault for not obeying that inconsistent, unclear advice. Exactly. I know it's really difficult and you don't know where to turn. And, and that's the thing is that's where it becomes difficult because where do you turn? What do you do? How do you try and make this better? Um, you know, it's, it's, people have still got, people are trying to live their lives and it's like, mm-hmm. how long is this supposed to last? But yeah, Brexit's also, I mean, I couldn't believe this. When I read a story on the BBC this week, you probably saw it too. There are people in England who are refusing the Pfizer vaccine. Did you see this? No, no, I didn't. There are people across England going in for their vaccine, booked in, going in, finding out it's the Pfizer vaccine and refusing because they want to wait for the English one. <laughs> this was on the BBC. This is not a thing I saw on Facebook. I read this on the BBC maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, so there are people, old people going in and refusing their vaccine because they want to wait for the English one. <laughs> And that just, that says it all. I mean, it's that, that is a great analogy for voting for Brexit, isn't it? It's the cutting off the nose to spite the face. It's just... And, the thing and there, about... are people, there are people, you know, there are doctors and teachers and people who could really do with getting this vaccine quickly so we can get back to normal. And you've got, well, what, I don't know what else you call them, bigoted old pensioners saying, well, I don't want this one, I want the English one. When, <laughs> you know, that's not available to them. Um, so I don't know what happens to, to the, I mean, I... I'd, personally, if it was up to me, I would send them to the very back of the queue and say, right, well, you can get the English one once everyone else in the whole of the UK has been vaccinated. <laughs> no, Good luck. Back... Your English blood will no doubt fight <laughs> the vaccine. Oh, it's, it's... I mean, I'm hoping that that's one of those things that it is a story and it turns out it's about 300 people out of a population of 50 or whatever. But, one hopes so. But, yeah, it's 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 just... That's the kind of... It's the kind of world we're living in. I mean, we've not, since this podcast started, we've never really talked about American politics at all because no. it's not our purview. But no. those people that ended up invading the US Capitol um, last, on Wednesday, just passed there. It's the same thing. It's the mm. same thing of over a prolonged period of time. And it's not just the length of time Trump's been president, but for 15, 20, 25 years of Fox News mm. and ever more partisan um, news media, um, eventually making people believe a certain worldview. And yeah. Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, to a lesser extent, because Twitter's a, a smaller entity, mm-hmm. but certainly Facebook and YouTube have just um, weaponized it to a, to a scary degree. And that's where we are in Britain to a large extent. We've got we've had 25, 30 years of this rampant Europhobia in mm-hmm. the newspapers um, and on a lot, a fair number of talking heads on television. And then it's been weaponized by Facebook and YouTube over the last and 10 then years. The irony is this week, I mean, I, I saw the Daily Mail and the Express saying like who could have predicted this would happen in america it's just who who could have seen this you'd rupert murdoch calling these people out yeah I think I that's just oh it's just the, it's the denial i mean the whole thing i i was watching i watched it all unfold i was watching cnn on wednesday because it was the georgia runoff 
you know, the elections mm-hmm. are happening on Tuesday. And I was yeah. just watching them chatting about that because I find, I, you and I are both fans of the West Wing, I find American politics interesting. So yeah. I was sitting watching CNN and then suddenly, I can't remember if it was Wolf Blitzer, but somebody on CNN said, right, we're breaking news here. There are Trump supporters have just broken into the Capitol building in Washington. And all of a sudden you're watching like a film. It's like watching a, a, like a sequel to The Joker. Yeah. That's what it felt oh. like. It actually felt like that. It felt like the last 15 minutes of The Joker. Without a guy climbing into a freezer and you not understanding whether or not that happened or not. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was actually, you know, you, you, you've, you, you've referenced the Joker, and I actually think it's more reminiscent of um, um, the Batman, the last Batman film, the Dark Knight. Yeah, Night the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Dark Knight yeah, Rises, yeah. even, uh, where the, um, the way in which um, there's kind of these, this mob that's a bit rubbish. Mm. Yeah, uh, because but, that's the thing. The, the mob wandered. Up, you, you could see them all wandering about, going, well, "What do we do now? Right, we're here. Yeah, no. What are we actually doing? I mean, apart from like the ones that got their pictures taken in Nancy Pelosi's office, and that weird guy that looked like Jamiroquai kicking about, <laughs> the guy with the horned <laughs> helmet on. Oh God, JK, a, how the mighty have fallen. To be fair, I'm going to defend Jamiroquai. He's never looked as bad as that. No, I mean, the, the hats he wore were pretty cool in comparison yeah. to that QAnon shaman. As he calls himself. That's what he is, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, like, yeah, I, I was listening to a journalist on, um, an American journalist. It was on, you know, I don't know if you've ever listened to AmeriCast. Yes. Uh, with Emily Maitlis and um, John Sobel. And um, she, this American journalist was saying, oh, they were very well organized. It was a clearly well organized. I was like, it really wasn't. No, if it was well organized, no. they would have broken into a chamber and laid siege and barricaded them in, had no. lots of food and drink, been starting making demands. This was basically a ragtag bunch of people that started yeah. walking up some stairs and then suddenly thought, do you know what? There's no, no riot police here. There's, there's not that many capital police here either. Let's just, let's just go. <laughs> let's just, let's just go in. in. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it just basically caused havoc. Um, but yeah, it's 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 we're living. This is the world we're living in now. It's uh, there was a brilliant phrase I read in the Guardian, which I just thought was hilarious. Is that they were talking about switching back to England now or Britain, and they were talking about how after um, Boris Johnson, I refuse just to call him Boris, after Boris Johnson had. Um, negotiated the Brexit deal, so we're talking about Christmas Eve. Yeah, a Downing Street aide um, came out and said, "This is Boris's world. We're living. No, this is Boris's world, and we just get to live in it what? because he would done so much, um, so much wonderful things to make this Brexit deal happen." And I was just like, "Do you know what? In one way, he is right. Mm. This is Boris's world." Yeah. This is Trump's world. Yeah. This is the world we're living in. And people like you and people like me, we've taken some wrong turns somewhere or another because we've allowed this to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, as much as I've never voted in any way for anybody other than somebody that's been fairly left wing, we've allowed this to happen somehow. So, and and we've, then you hear, you hear a lot of talking heads saying, I don't know how this has happened. I mean, who could have predicted this would happen? You think, well, the writing's been on the wall for years. In yeah. America and in the UK, this kind of horrible, fractious, combative atmosphere that's just prevalent everywhere. Yeah. And you wonder, like, what? how did that happen? What, what you know, what were we doing? Mm. What were we doing? What would people like us? I mean, we are not the generation that's in charge yet. 
The generation no. that's in charge is the, is the generation above us that are 10, 15 years older yeah, than yeah. us. But I don't, you know, I don't see how our generation is going to is going to turn the tides necessarily. Because what's managed to happen is they've weaponized people that are about 10 years younger than us uh-huh. to be fairly right wing, to be there's a, there's a large enough swathe of them that are very Eurosceptic, that are very sort of the Facebook generation that's kind mm. of grown up, not skeptical of Facebook, which I think probably your children's generation will be. Yeah. But the ones that have just gone full wholeheartedly into Facebook, wholeheartedly into Twitter, and have ended up down cul-de-sacs. But the the QAnon thing, I find that fascinating. I mean, I I know two people that live in the village that I live in, that you used to live in, who are fervent believers in QAnon. And I've had conversations with them. People, one of them is someone I would have considered, you know, intelligent, um, politically okay, but like really passionately believes all this QAnon stuff, believes that the election was stolen, believes that Donald Trump is the messiah and that there's a cabal of, you know, child molesting vampires that live under the surface and that Donald Trump's been sent to save us from those people. Uh, You know, Tom Hanks is of questionable (laughs) morals. Um, It's, but but like really believe it. Really, really powerfully believe it. And then when you try and have a conversation about it, you know, like I, I had a conversation with one person and they were talking about the election being fixed. And I said, well, see the election, see the Democrats rigged the election. Why didn't they take the Senate? And they just yeah. went, and they just said, or oh, I don't know about that kind of stuff. I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> there's, uh, I feel like I've won the argument. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah. you know, there's, there's no factual knowledge. It's just all this gobbledygook about blood and, and and children's souls and the, 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 i've heard several people say that donald trump stopped you know like sex trafficking and how he was only hanging out with brian epstein as a, as a kind of undercover agent for the forces of good i mean it's just it's weird. the but, manager of the beatles <laughs> so what did i say brian epstein sorry <laughs> yeah. uh, jeffrey epstein brian's dad because <laughs> i read that beatles book last week i've still got brian epstein <laughs> heavily in my head but 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 the belief and this is so oh, it's, unwavering yeah. and you see it i see it on facebook i see, read about it in various newspapers james o'brien rails about it almost every week about this QAnon yeah. thing and it just seems that people who really they, they really do go down a rabbit hole and believe in all that stuff and it's just and what yeah and once you've gone down the rabbit hole it me it makes you you you, you, you can't admit that you've gone down the rabbit hole no because what does that say about you yeah, exactly you have to keep believing it well, yeah, I have to keep believing it. It's like the people, the ones who are still saying Brexit is good, despite the fact it's clearly not. You can't admit yeah. you've made a mistake. People will not admit that they were, they, they were taken in by a lie. And they will still, to their dying breath, <laughs> refuse to admit that Brexit was a bad idea. Even yeah. when we're seeing, you and I were talking about the shortages of food in Morrison's just now. And, mm. you know, we're reading about people, businesses having to close because they can't sell things to the EU anymore. All these things that we promised wouldn't happen have happened. And, yeah. I, yeah. and not just, by the way, promised four years ago wouldn't happen and have happened, but were promised last week. Yeah, right up until Christmas happen. Eve. Yeah, but <laughs> after the deal. Oh, no, everything's going to be fine now. It's going to be great. Yeah. Land of milk and honey, and, and it's not. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, we're, we're in this world now, and it's going to take a while to get out. And don't get me wrong, there are elements of hope. Biden won. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a huge yeah. step forward. By, the think, Jordan yeah. runoff. Yeah, yeah. He's got control of the Senate. You know, just, just. But he still has but he's control, got of control of it. Yeah. the Senate. You know, like, the, I mean, as you know, Trump is now being, people are distancing themselves. I mean, it's a bit Trump. late. Not, it's annoying. It's a bit it's late. It's annoying that day. it took a failed coup um, and a seditious act. You know, where they, I mean, it's a shame that it's taken that for all the people around him to suddenly go, oh, no, I can't stand that. That's too much. I mean, you could be cynical and say, like, you know, that he's got about 10 days left as president. And these people are just jumping ships and they're not technically yeah. connected to him when he leaves. Yeah. But, I mean, and that's, and that was going to happen with Boris as well, is what, what the tide will at some point. Of course. And, um, you know, there'll be enough people that say they were never Boris yeah. um, at some point. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, that will keep, um, we're, there is elements of hope, but, at this time in early January 2021, with us all in lockdown again for at least a month, probably, mm. it's hard to get that sense of, of great euphoria. Because the other thing is, I, you just know, you just know that Fox News, every other news outlet, certainly Donald Trump himself, the crowds are going to be tiny, and rightly so, for Joe Biden's inauguration. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be look at him. Look, obviously it was a obviously it was a failed election. Obviously he didn't get that many votes because look how many people have gone out on the streets to celebrate yeah. his presidency and inauguration. His crowd numbers are tiny. How can he possibly have got all those votes? Even though there's a complete lack of logic to that argument, yeah. it's still going to be. Taking I mean, you place. could argue that that's one of the reasons why they did what they did this week. So they would have to, you know, tighten security next week for yeah. the inauguration. <laughs> Although that's, that's, giving, that's giving Trump too much credit. I think so. That's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's not playing three-dimensional chess, yeah. is he? Uh, but I just want to just, uh, I've been quite low and quite sad this week in, in terms of this, this last 25 minutes of listening, listener. Um, but I just wanted to give some, for long-term listeners of the Joyride podcast specifically, I just wanted to throw out some hope, some love, oh. some joy, because... Long-term listeners of this podcast will know that myself and my good friend, Ian, are huge fans of The Loch. Now, sadly, The Loch will never return. Oh. But but if you watch on iPlayer slash BBC One, the TV drama Traces, <gasps> which is a... I just I just recorded that on the my... New, <laughs> it's, a... it's the new Loch. <laughs> it is... I mean, I've only seen two episodes I, so far. I saw that. But, I've put that on my Skype. I downloaded the first episode because I saw it had Martin Compton and Laura Fraser. And I was like, oh, I'm downloading that. And the thing about it is, is um, Laura Fraser, Martin Constant, Molly Windsor, who's the lead character, mm-hmm. um, are all brilliant actors. I don't, I don't know if Laura Fraser's ever won a BAFTA, but Molly Windsor has, and deservedly so, because she's amazing. Um, it's written by um, Val McDermott. Oh, and also, bizarrely, Amelia Bullmore, who's a com- comedy actress, right. who's like been in, in um, you know, Partridge and all these other yeah. things. Uh, if you look her up online, you'll know exactly who she is. Um, but somehow, and it's kind of a good idea for sure. It's got John Gordon Sinclair in it, for goodness sake. Oh, wow. Um, but somehow, is it just drama set in Scotland? I don't know what it is. Is it set in Dundee, just- this one? 
It's set in Dundee, yeah. which is great. I love things that are set outside of London. Right. Oh, I'm getting on but, that tonight then, because I did. I downloaded but, the first one. I didn't think it was going to be Loch-esque, but no, definitely going to no, watch it. No, there's just something. There's an amazing scene. I think it's an episode two. Like I say, I've only seen two episodes, where Martin Compton, who is one of the best actors of his generation, and, and certainly British television yeah. anyway, I don't know. The director must have made him make a choice, <laughs> which I'm just like. Oh, I can't there's wait. Lots of those episodes. Does he Watch do out. his own accent this time, as opposed to the Steve Arnott accent that he does? Oh yeah, he's, he's, he's Scottish. He's Scottish. Time, he's Scottish. And also, there's a scene, and all I'm going to say is, there's a scene with a quarter bottle of vodka, right. which is extremely lock-like in its incongruity. Oh. It's just like what. Is that doing there? Okay. It's just, please watch oh, it, well, everybody. I'll watch it this week. If you watch it with a certain, you know, I'm not going in to watch a hard-boiled Line of Duty-style crime drama, but I'm going to watch something that's curious, strangely watchable, but at the same time, doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> then Sounds you'll like a love it. To the law. <laughs> it does indeed. So, so I wanted to end on a smile, and right. nothing says smile like a follow-up to the law. Definitely not. Uh, and should I say, Laura Fraser is brilliant in it again, right. even though it's not a good program. Good. Right. Okay. Well, I'll definitely get to mention that but, then. Yes. Anyway, thank you, listener, for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. We do. And, and we'll speak to you next we week. We will do. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.